Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. When we're children, there is a simple question we start to ask. And no matter how old we get, we still find ourselves asking this question. And the question is, why? Why are we here? Why do things exist? Why do things happen the way they do? It's a question that speaks towards meaning. We want to know what is the meaning of our lives and what is the meaning of it all. Today we're going to talk about how you can find ultimate meaning and purpose in your life. It's an important topic, so I hope you listen closely and I hope you enjoy this because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I and our family, we took a little trip down to Florida. And one of the things that we did, which we have never done before, is we went to the Kennedy Space Center. I don't know if you've been there before, but it's worth a trip. It's really well done. And one of the things that began to happen is I realized my oldest daughter, Caitlin, is certainly getting older because it wasn't enough just for her to see the big rockets and everything that was there. She began to, uh, for one of the first times when we've gone to a place like this, really want an explanation of everything that was there and why it was there. And it's like that when we're kids, right? We have an experience and we start to ask questions. Well, why? We want an explanation of what it is that we're seeing and, and, and why it's there. And unfortunately for my daughter, the only person that was around that could possibly try to answer those questions uh, was her dad, whose knowledge of the space program is somewhat limited. But she would ask me these questions, and I was challenged the entire time we were there. I thought we'd go, and maybe there was a flight simulator, or, or they could touch the rockets. But she asked me a lot of good questions while we were there, and she would say things like, Dad, what, what is the deal with Apollo 13? Why does Apollo 13 have a bigger display than all of the other Apollo missions? And I would begin to turn the wheels in my head, and I said something like, well, Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon got together with the other guy. And I had to, I said, let's go read the plaque. And so we went and read the plaque. And then it started to click. Oh, yeah, they stirred the oxygen tanks. And there was an explosion. And they got him back safely. And she wanted to hear the entire story. Even last night, and I, I didn't prep her at all on this, last night as she was going to bed, she said to me, she said, Dad, what, what really went wrong with the Challenger? And I was like, oh. Honey, I don't, I don't know. It was really sad. I remember seeing it. I remember being in elementary school, and they were showing it on TV. And, and, uh, but I don't know. She's like, well, it was something with the fuel. I said, yeah, I know, but I don't know. And the wheels were still turning, right? Two weeks later, the wheels are still turning. She wants an explanation for what she experienced. She saw the display. She was really impacted by the fact that there was a teacher on that particular mission. And, and she saw the pieces that they had on display. There was a pretty powerful display for the Challenger and the Columbia. And it stuck with her. She had this experience. She didn't know that sometimes Sometimes it doesn't go well. And she was trying to piece that all together. And you know, that never really leaves us, does it? As we get older, in fact, it just gets more complex over time. That when you and I have an experience, what we want for our, for our experience is we want an explanation, right? This is how we work in our life. If we experience something, we want to try to figure out some sort of plausible explanation to help us make sense of all of it. 
And I think you'll agree with me that over the years, particularly if we're going to talk about the Western world and the culture in which we live, that has changed over time pretty dramatically, hasn't it? Our explanations as we've grown in knowledge and understanding have become more complex for sure. But there's another significant way that it's changed over time. A couple of years ago, the professor emeritus at McGill University in philosophy, Charles Taylor, wrote a book called A Secular Age. And he begins the book with, I think, a very intriguing and important question. And the question is this. This is exactly what he writes. He said, why is it, that virtually, why is it virtually impossible not to believe in God in, say, 1500 in our Western society? While in 2000, many of us find this not only easy, but even inescapable. And if I was to paraphrase what he's saying there, he's saying, why is it that 500 years ago, all the smart people believed that God existed, and now in today's world, the smart, enlightened people don't? Why is there actually more pressure in our culture today and society to abandon belief in God when 500 years ago in Western civilization, the pressure was the opposite? What has changed in our thinking and what has changed? And certainly we know this, right? Our explanations have changed over time for things. It's easy to see if we just look down the road a couple of miles uh, to Harvard University. Their shield has changed over the years. In 1692, when Harvard was founded, their shield was the one that, was on, that is on the left there. And it has the motto in Latin that the school began with. Truth for Christ and for the church was the motto of Harvard when it began. And the word for Latin there, veritas, is written across three books. The two books up top in the original shield are open, face up. The book in the bottom of the shield is face down. And the, enti- and the symbolism of that was to show and to say that our knowledge as humans, our intellect is limited. And apart from God, there are things that we cannot know. So part of truth is facing down. We leave that part up to God. Well, today's shield is much different. Gone are the words Christ and church and left is just the word truth across three books, but all three books are facing up to display and show that human knowledge is unlimited, that there's nothing that's out there that we can't solve if we try hard enough and we think hard enough. And certainly you know this, our explanations have changed over time. We used to experience things, if we go way back, like rain, and we would say, well, where does the rain come from? And we would say, well, God brings the rain. But that's changed over time. Now, if my son, my four-year-old, just learned in preschool about the water cycle, and his teacher did not say to him, God sends the rain, don't ask any other questions. His teacher didn't even bring God into the mix now. She would just say, we have a water cycle. Water evaporates, we understand it gathers in the atmosphere, and then it rains, comes down in some form. And certainly we all agree with that. Please don't hear me that I'm arguing against the water cycle here. I believe, believe in the water cycle. I'm just saying our explanations have changed over time. And I think, I think you understand what I mean. We used to say that God did things. And now we come up with a different reason. We used to wonder why we got sick. And we would say, well, God has something to do with that. Now we say, well, it's bacteria and viruses that have something to do with that. And certainly the accumulation of knowledge is important. I would never argue against that. 
solve things and come to understand things that I'm sure our ancestors would not even believe that we were able to do as a society and a culture. But something's been happening over time. And it's gotten bigger and bigger in our world today. And if we're honest, we can feel it happening in the culture around us. And that is, the more we are able to, un- to understand and explain, there is this growing gap with something that we cannot understand and find very difficult to explain. And there's this thing that's happening where as we gain knowledge, and it seems like this gap between our experience and our understanding is shrinking, there's actually a growing gap that we're experiencing in our culture and in our world in very tangible ways. And I think that the physicist and well-known atheist Steven Weinberg says it very succinctly and very well. And this is what he says. The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. And this is a big problem in our world today. The people that stop long enough to think about this, the the people that try to deal with these issues, that the more that we know, the more that we understand, the, the greater our base of our ability to explain things, there is a growing gap in meaning because as much as we can explain of our experience, the question that we are struggling to answer is why? Why? The question of meaning is the one that, that as we understand more how it was all put into place, or we understand more about how it all works, or we understand more about how it all is going to end, this question of meaning and understanding why is bothering us and bothering us and bothering us. And some of us don't even like to think about it. We would rather distract ourselves with a world full of social media and Netflix than have to sit there and think about the reality of the meaning of it all. We wonder why in our world today we are smarter and faster than ever before. It feels like we're so close to solving this, doesn't it? It feels like in a world where we figured out how to stand in our houses and just say into the air, send me toilet paper and tomorrow it's on the front porch. (laughs) That like maybe we're close. Maybe we're close to figuring this whole thing out. That one day the, the light bulb's gonna click on and meaning and purpose will be clear. But here's the problem we can do all those things now. And we're smarter and faster than ever before, and yet there's this growing sense of why are we all here and what is the purpose of it all? You know, our world is struggling right now, our culture particularly is struggling with. Knowing more and moving faster and having more and more people anxious and depressed and lost than ever before. You and I have been impacted that, by that either individually or certainly personally by our friends and family and relatives that are struggling to figure it all out. Maybe you struggle to figure it all out. And there's no good answer out there, is it? It's hard to discover. 
There is no good answer. There's no good reading. And we are challenged by that, aren't we? There's this painting that is at the Massachusetts, or the Museum of Fine Art, I'm sorry, in Boston. And it's by the French painter Paul Gauguin. And I think he asked three questions that are the three questions that really get at the heart of this issue of meaning in this painting. It's his own personal mythology Gauguin paints. And someone asked me in the first service why I didn't show a picture. His personal mythology needs to involve you know, a bit more modesty. And so you, you know how that works in painting. So I'll just mention the painting. But in the left-hand corner, in the upper left-hand corner of that painting, he asked three questions in French that I think get to the heart of this meaning issue. They're the questions that we really struggle to answer. And he asked these three questions. He asked them plurally. He asked them uh, with we. He says, he says this, where are we from? Where are we from? He says, what are we? I think what he means is, why are we here? Then he asks this question, where are we going? Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? And with all of its innovation and with all of the gains in knowledge and explanation, our sciences, while they are very useful, have no answer for this. Because each question points to meaning. Where are we from? Why are we here? And where are we going? In other words, what is it all for? And as we gain more knowledge and we gain more understanding, this gap keeps growing in our world. We can't figure it out. And you feel that and I feel it. And it's felt in our universities. It's felt in our professionals. And the more and more we gain in knowledge, the bigger this gap grows. And I want us just to take a couple of minutes here to look at one moment in the Bible where I think these questions get answered for us very clearly. And I think it's a good example for us because the man who speaks here is a man named Paul whose ministry took place right after Jesus was on this earth. And he deals with a group of people that their thought process was somewhat similar to ours. And what they were trying to figure out when it comes to meaning and purpose is somewhat similar to what we find ourselves trying to figure out. He was speaking uh, with first century Greek philosophers the descendants of people like Socrates, or if it helps you, like I understood it when I was in elementary school, Socrates, took me a while to figure that out, Plato. And they're continuing to think along these lines, looking at the world, looking at people and trying to understand it all, trying to come up with an explanation. And there, were a, there was a giant gap in their knowledge that Paul noticed, and he speaks right into it. And I think what he says to this group speaks right to our questions about meaning as well. This is what he says. You take a look at verse 22 there in chapter 17, and he'll set the scene. So Paul, he was standing in the midst of the Areopagus, and the Areopagus was this public gathering place, sometimes for philosophy discussions, sometimes for legal discussions. And so Paul's standing there with all of these philosophers, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. 
What therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you. Basically, Paul says to them, listen, I walked around your city. It is clear that you are searching for meaning. And you think it's out there. So you built an altar and you said, this is the altar to the unknown God that will provide us meaning. And Paul says, what you are searching for, I am going to make clear to you. And I think that Paul says to us today, what you're searching for, asking these questions of where we've come from, why we're here and where we're going, I'm going to provide meaning for you. This is what he says. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the one, Paul says, who gives to us life and breath and everything. And so Paul says, you want an explanation about where you come from? Paul says very simply, you come from God. Now, it's easy to smirk at that in today's world. It seems far too simplistic. But let me suggest to you, Then in all of our understanding and the beginning of this world and how it all came into place, we have not even become gotten close to answering the question that where did we come from? And when it comes to meaning, this is a huge one for us. Because there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that, that believes that this all must exist for some sort of reason. That we're not just here. That it just didn't happen. I mean, what is, the, what is the point if it all came from nothing? There's something inside of your heart and my heart that speaks to that, that there has to be some greater meaning than just this. Now, a true hardcore atheist might say to you and to me, well, you're just soft. You're just weak. You can't deal with the reality. But I would say even more so, it just doesn't make sense to me. We were watching a documentary a couple weeks ago, and it was on the planet Earth. And and we started with us flying in from space, and there's that blue marble hanging out in the middle of space. And that perfect narrator voice, I don't know where they find that voice, but you know the voice I'm talking about with just just the right accent and tone, starts speaking. And she said, Our Milky Way galaxy is one of just many galaxies in our universe, and they're being discovered all the time. She said, and each galaxy contains billions and billions of stars, and in our galaxy, there is just one star, otherwise unimpressive, in which there is one planet. And it's the only planet that we know of in all the universe that has everything perfectly aligned so that life can take place. What are the chances of that happening on its own? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't believe this chair assembled itself in a working manner. 
And I know that can sound simplistic, but honestly, I just, how, do, how could that possibly happen? What are the chances? We accept that at face value so often in our culture today, but we don't push back. And I, I would push back. I would encourage you to push back. Don't allow people who, because they're your professor or they're your teacher, to tell you this and make you feel like a fool if you question it. Why? It's a fair question to ask. What are the chances? Do we really believe that this could just happen? That it's astronomical. And more than that, why in the world would it happen? Why in the world would it happen? Even if we're going to buy that the odds just landed in our favor and we got incredibly lucky, why? Paul says something that for all of time and for us today continues to answer that question. You were created by God. That's where you're from. Now, why are you here? Why would God do this? Paul answers that in the next few verses. Look at verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being God's offspring, we ought to think, ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So what Paul says, and what I believe, that we are from God, and why are we here? We are made for God. We are made for relationship with God. That God put us here and he created us with a soul that will only find its ultimate sense of purpose and meaning in him. And I would suggest you to look around and to find the thing that has fully satisfied the soul of another person. I'm embarrassed to admit that I saw this headline, but I saw the headline, and so I'll share it with you, that a couple days ago, Ariana Grande, I don't even know who that is, Ariana Grande tweeted that she felt empty inside and started to post some things about depression. Now, based upon everything that we know, based upon all our explanations, if someone should feel fulfilled in their life, it should be her. She has it all. She's young and successful and the world adores her. And despite all of our best, best efforts to figure out why we're here and to figure out some sense of meaning, we all our explanations fall short. But if we're from God and he created us, we, he created us as his offspring, Paul says, and we are made to go and seek and to find him. And it is the only thing that will fully satisfy our souls. I have an iPhone. If it breaks, do you know what the last place I would take it to is to get it fixed? The Microsoft store. 
It's the last place I would take it. I'd go to the kiosk in the middle of the mall before I went to the Microsoft store. But I would take it. I would like to take it. I would take it directly to the Apple store. And if the designers of the iPhone were available, I would prefer to take it to them because they designed it and they made it and they know what it's for and they know exactly why they did what they did. God created your soul. He made it. He designed it. And he designed it for himself. And what you and I do is we take that soul and we take it out to a world that didn't create it and didn't make it and didn't design it. And we say, tell us how to fix this thing. And all our efforts fall short. Where are you from? You're from God. Why are you here? You are here as his child to honor and worship and find great satisfaction in him. There's this other question, though. Where are we going? Paul answers that one too for us in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has a He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul says, you've been created, you've come from God, you were created for God. And he says, ultimately, you will return to God. And he says, the way that you do this as God's child is that we have to recognize that God created us for relationship with him and that we broke that relationship by walking away from him, by disobeying him, what the Bible calls sin. And that relationship can be renewed so that we can return to him for all eternity. The growing thought in our culture and in our world, and I've heard it from people like the magician Penn Jillette or the comedian Ricky Gervais, other people who like to talk about these things, is that we came from nothing and we go to nothing and you should just deal with it. Just deal with it. Enjoy it while you got it. But just know that come from nothing and you're going to nothing. There's something inside of you that says that's not true. I have the privilege of hosting services where we celebrate the life of people who have lived on this earth. In fact, we had two last week from this congregation, Georgina and Owen. This Friday, Burlington will celebrate the life of Michelle Pierce at 11 a.m. this Friday, if you're able to join us. Every time we gather, there is something inside of every person in the gathering who knows this isn't the way it's supposed to end. There's something not right about death. Even when it's at 90 years old or 89 years old, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to end. We should be able to go on. And there's something inside of you and something inside of me that wants to fight for this. And we're doing it actively. It's the reason why global warming is important to us, for most of us. It's the reason why we're trying to solve every disease that's out there. It's the reason why Larry King wants to be frozen when he dies. It's because there's this thing inside of us, this desire that wants to continue on forever. And the Bible says it this way. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. That that desire to live forever has been put there by God because it does have a solution. The solution is just not on this earth. 
And we are driven. Make it last longer. Make it last longer. Make the universe last longer. Do you know what the problem we have is that people don't want to talk about? It doesn't matter how long we increase life expectancy. It doesn't matter how long we make life palatable on the planet Earth. It doesn't even matter, as I saw at the Space Center a couple weeks ago, if we can figure out life on Mars or in some sort of space station. At some point, the universe ends. What's the point? The reason there is a point is because you were created by God for relationship with him. And you have the opportunity to return and to be with him for all eternity. Now you say to me, it's too simplistic. It's too simplistic. How do you know it's true? Paul says it right there at that last verse that we read. He says it this way in verse 31 at the end. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You might be thinking there this morning, says, what in the world does this have to do with Easter? This is exactly what it has to do with Easter. Is if God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, if it's a real thing, that Jesus died and was buried and he rose again to new life, then all of this is completely plausible and true. If God can do that, then he can do any of this. And God, through sending his son to die on the cross and be rose again, was showing a proof to you and to me that he has power and victory and authority over death. And there is ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose to be found in him. Because where we live in a world where knowledge is increasing, and the more we increase our knowledge, the more pointless it all seems. And we find ourselves asking the questions, where are we coming from? And why are we even here? And where are we going? And we either have no response for that, or we just distract ourselves from it with our acquaintances and our friends and a good time so that we never have to think about it. God is there saying to you, there is meaning in me because you are from me, you're created for me, and you will return to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof of all of this. Now, the question is out there, how will we respond? And as you can probably guess, as Paul was standing in public in ancient Greece, there was a variety of responses. And my guess is in this room right now, there's a variety of responses. That's all right. You could think that this is craziness. I'm glad you're here this morning. This is what happened to Paul. Verse 32. Now, when some heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Some mocked, some said, we'll hear you again, but some joined him and believed. And my guess is in the room right now, we have all three of those. Some of you are in your mind and heart, you're kind of mocking this, it's too simplistic and overly thoughtful, and you believe. You believe that one day science will figure this all out. I had a great conversation a number of uh, weeks ago with, a, with a, a gentleman who had been attending our church for a while, and he said, I, I know that science can't solve any of this meaning stuff right now, but I believe we'll get there. And maybe that's you. The problem that we have there is the more we understand, the worse this gets, not the better. 
the less meaning we find in life, not more. You can see the effects of that reverberating through our culture. And we also have to come up with another explanation, a logical explanation of an event that happened in some towns that were very meaningless. Nazareth, area of Galilee. That changed the world so much that no matter what you use, BCE or whatever, or CE or whatever you want to use, we count our years down to this event and we count our years away from this event. And there was a group of 12 people that followed a man around for three and a half years. And when it looked like it was all coming apart, they thought it was over. None of them thought this was the catalyst that was going to, to create a great movement. They thought it was done. One of them betrayed him and commit suicide. Another one denied him at the cross. And the other ones went into hiding. Such they were hidden away in a room with secret handshakes and secret door knocks because they were sure that the Roman government was going to come and kill them next. And then something happens where all of a sudden, not only them, but hundreds and then thousands of people begin to say something happened that is not only worth not hiding from, it is worth dying for. And they move from fear-ridden, cloistered people to people who are out on the streets saying to the Jewish leaders and saying to Rome, you can kill me for this, but I'm not going to stop talking. Jesus rose from the dead. And we've got to come up with some other explanation that is logical if we don't believe that that happened. There were plenty of people in authority, both in Rome and in the Jewish rule, that could have shot this whole thing down and stopped it from spreading. At some point, you would think one of the disciples would cave and say, we made it all up when death was on the line. They didn't do it for political power. They had none. They didn't do it for money, for sure. They didn't do it to make life easier. It made life harder. I believe that all of that is strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That there was no body to, to parade around and show to show that they were liars. That this was something they were willing to die for because they had seen it with their own eyes. And it revolutionized the world. And billions and billions of people from that moment on have found ultimate meaning and purpose in the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the reason, because he's risen from the dead, I know exactly where I come from. I can be sure. I know why I'm here. And I know where I am going. And so if you're in the place of, of mocking this this morning, I just would encourage you to keep the conversation going, at least be willing to think about some of these things. And I would love to continue the conversation with you. I think this faith is reasonable. Not just emotional. Some mocked, some said they'd continue the conversation, and maybe that's you. Please keep coming. Please keep the dialogue going. And some of you are ready to believe. Some of you have tried everything else in this world to find meaning and purpose in life. And everything is falling short. The reason is, is because we can solve a lot of temporary questions and temporary problems with our own intellect, but we can't solve eternal ones. We can't solve meaning and purpose on our own. God created you. God desires relationship with you. And if you will pursue it, 
you will return to an eternity with him. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. In 2012, a a writer for the Washington Post won the Pulitzer Prize for an article that he wrote. And he wrote an article on, on, on an experiment, somewhat of an experiment that he did. That is, he took a lone violinist and put him in a metro station stop in Washington, D.C. And they filmed and watched as the violinist played and people came in and out of the metro station and they walked past and no one really paid him any attention. They had their heads down. They had things to do, jobs to get to, classes to get to, problems to solve, things to be done. And, and he played and played for a couple of hours. And at the end of his playing time, I think they counted something like 27 people that had even stopped to give him a couple seconds of their time. And they said most of those were children that were stopping their parents and the parents were wanted to keep going. People didn't even realize that the person that was playing the violin was Joshua Bell, who's one of the world's greatest violinists, plays in the great uh, arenas, New York, Prague, Moscow, London, Paris. People pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to sit and listen to him play. The violin that he was playing was a Stradivarius that sold for $3.5 million. See, everyone was just so busy with just focusing on what they had next in front of them and getting things done and solving problems that they couldn't even imagine or recognize the great thing that was right in front of their faces. I just wonder if for many of us, that's the person of Jesus Christ and the meaning that can be found in knowing him. That we are running around trying to solve this whole thing ourselves when the answer to it all is standing right in front of you. I invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes with me and just think about this for one moment. Maybe you are here this morning and for the first time you would want to put your belief in Jesus Christ to find meaning in him and your purpose there. Just where you are, you say a simple prayer that would put that into process. In your own heart, in your own mind, you could say something like, God, thank you that you have created me. And I recognize that I have done things, that I have sinned and broken my, broken my relationship with you. Would you come and take control of my life? Help me live for you. do something like that, I believe you begin a relationship that starts today and lasts for all eternity. And maybe you're here this morning and you just needed to be reminded that your belief in Jesus Christ is not foolish. That following him and believing that you're from God and made for him and you will return to him is not unreasonable. 
to be reminded that while our world can find many explanations for many things, they are struggling to solve the problem of meaning, and the problem of meaning has been solved by God all along. God made you. He loves you. He desires relationship with you. God, I thank you for your love for each person in this room. God, I thank you for the grace and mercy that was shown on the cross. I thank you for the victory over death that was shown in the resurrection. Help us to live with that in mind. And thank you. Thank you that even though this world is a temporary place, God, that we can be sure of our origin, of the reasons we are here, and where we are headed. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.